And so if you have a Bible today, would you go to Judges chapter two? If not, it's okay. We'll put it up on the screen so you can follow Judges chapter two. Judges chapter one tells the story of how the people of God had come into Canaan and they're now because there are still inhabitants in the land that they were promised. Um, they are fighting wars and it talks in detail about the different battles that they fight. And we get to Judges chapter two and we've discovered that they have not obeyed God completely. They have taken control of the land, but they have allowed certain people groups to still occupy parts of the land and they have not removed them. And so God is upset because God had asked them to push out the people that dwelled in the land and they didn't obey God. And so we kind of find ourselves there in Judges chapter two. And here's what the Bible says. The first one says this, the angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bochum and said, I brought you out of Egypt and led you into the land I swore to give your ancestors. I said, I will never break my covenant with you and you shall not make a covenant with the people of this land, but you shall break down their altars. You've disobeyed me. Why have you done this? And I have also said, I will not drive them out before you. They will become traps for you and their gods will become snares to you. When the angel of the Lord had spoken these things to all the Israelites, the people wept aloud and they called that place Bochim. There they offered sacrifices to the Lord. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for your word. Help us, help us, God, to not only experience salvation, experience your deliverance, but help us to experience your best in this life. Help us not to just have a heaven to go to, but Teach us how to have days of heaven on earth. Teach us. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. I love this story because the angel of the Lord, when he comes down, the first thing he reminds them of this, he says, I, the Lord, your God, will not break my covenant. In the middle of their disobedience, in the middle of their dysfunction, in the middle of what is a pattern for these people, God just wants to remind them and remind us that my ability to keep my covenant is not predicated upon your ability to keep covenant. <laughs> I am a God who keeps covenant. I don't need your help to keep my promises. I feel like there's a couple people, especially in this section, but I feel like, I feel like in the room there should be a little bit more excitement about a God who promises you that no matter how bad you are at covenant, he says, I'm better than you. I will keep my, I will not break my promises. Wow. God is such a covenant keeper. He is such a promise keeper. As a matter of fact, this whole thing began on a promise. In Genesis chapter 15, he made Abraham a promise. He said, I want to bless you. I want to make your name great. I want to use you and out of you will come salvation. He made that promise to Abraham and he kept his promise in Jesus and he is keeping his promise today. 
he is faithful to it. As a matter of fact, in Genesis chapter 15, when God made that promise to Abraham, I want to show you how involved Abraham was in the covenant. This is how involved Abraham was in the covenant. The Bible says that they took about five animals and they sacrificed these animals. They cut them in half and they stuck one side of the animal on the right and another side of the animal on the left. And the custom was that the two people who were making an agreement would put their arms around each other or hold hands and walk through the middle of that blood to signify that they were making a covenant together. But the Bible says that after the animals were sacrificed, Abraham fell asleep. And in the middle of the night, God himself, while Abraham was sleeping, walked through that blood by himself just to let you and I know that I don't need your help to keep my promises. I'm good at keeping my promises all by myself. As a matter of fact, I'd rather you rest because I know how you are. And I don't want you making promises you cannot keep. That's good news. I will never break my covenant. Tim Keller said this. He said, our God is the only God that when you find him, he'll satisfy you. If you fail him, he'll forgive you. And if you run from him, he'll pursue you. That's his promise. His promise is, I will rescue you. I will save you. I will forgive you. Some enemies I will destroy for you, like death, hell, and the grave. But I will not obey for you. God says, I keep my covenant, but you disobeyed me. And because you disobeyed me, I'm going to have to teach you. In the Old Testament, they would be punished. In the New Testament, it's called discipline because sin has been punished, but we still must be disciplined. As a matter of fact, if you are being disciplined by God, it's good news because that means you are his child. So he says, I'll save you. I'll rescue you. I'll forgive you. I'll even defeat death, hell, and the grave for you. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 puts it this way. I'll make a way of escape for you, but I'm not walking through the door. I'll open it, but I, but I need you to walk through it. I'll provide salvation, but I need you to confess me as Lord. Come on, somebody. I'll help you in your addiction, but I won't, I, I won't walk you into a rehab clinic. I'll help you in your marriage, but I won't force you to get counseling. Can, does anybody in the room know what I'm talking about? A God will, who will save you, redeem you, cleanse you, purify you, set you free, bring you all the way into heaven. But obedience is your responsibility. As a matter of fact, Bishop McBath said it this way last week. He said, God will, God will only do for you what you cannot do for yourself. Obedience is on you. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So there is a, there is a part that we play not in our salvation, not in our deliverance, not, not in our purification, but there is a part that we play in whether or not we experience the best that God has to offer in this life, and it's through obedience. Judges chapter 3. And how does God train us in obedience? Well, Judges chapter 3 teaches us this. He says, in Judges chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, it tells us that God left nations so that those who had not fought in Canaan would be taught 
to war. Isn't it an amazing thing how when you get saved, all your problems don't go away? As a matter of fact, sometimes your problems get even crazier. Anybody get saved and things got worse for a little bit? No honest people in the room today? You got saved and you didn't struggle with anything for the rest of your life. I know how it was for you. But for everybody else in this room who got saved and trouble showed up at their door. Who got saved and the devil didn't take it lying down. Is there anybody in the room who said, the devil fought me before, but the moment I gave my life to Jesus Christ, it was like he reared his ugly head in ways I had never seen before. It's amazing, isn't it? How... God doesn't save us. My dad used to talk about it this way. He would say, you know, if, if God's goal was just to get us to heaven, then he would save us and hit us on the head and kill us and just take us straight up, right? But he doesn't. I, sometimes I wish he would. Because man alive. My obedience is suspect. Judges teaches us that even though he saves us and brings us out of Egypt and out of our bondage and through our wilderness seasons and gives us a promise. It teaches that every promise of God is actually occupied with opposition. Every promise is occupied with opposition. When they got into Canaan, the Bible says that there were still giants in the land. And Joshua turned to a man named Caleb and he said, Caleb, we're in the promise and, and I'm happy we're here, but do you still think you want that piece of property up on that hill? Because there's giants up there. And Caleb said, give me that piece of property. I'll take it right now. He said, I know I'm an old man, but he said, he said old man's strength is, is better than young man's strength. My son goes to the gym every day. He came up to me the other day, said, let's arm wrestle. I showed him what old man's strength is. I showed him what gray hair means. He's all cut and shredded and looks good with his shirt off, but he can't move mountains. Come on, somebody. Y'all know what I'm talking about. That's why none of y'all wanted to mess with your grandpa. You're like, that dude will kill me. <laughs> and God left these nations. These are the nations that are listed there. It says that he left all of the Philistines. There were Canaanites in the land. There were Sidonians and Hivites. These are the main groups. And then it would break it down into six, six basic variations of these same four people groups. The Philistines. The Philistines were interesting because the Philistines, their name means immigrants. Now, now we're a nation of immigrants. There, there's immigrants. All of us came here from somewhere. Right. Even Columbus sailed here from somewhere. And um, <laughs> what's interesting about immigrants is not only do they bring their culture, which I love so many of the different cultures in our, our country. If, if I had to eat American food all of the time, life would be really boring. Is there anybody in the room thankful for like Hispanic culture and. Mexican food and Asian food. Okay. But here's the thing about immigrants. Immigrants just don't bring their culture. They bring their gods. And here's what the people of God 
constantly did. And, and when it came to the Philistines in particular, the, they, they were prone to worshiping the gods of the Philistines. So this was a war that they were going to have to fight. And they are still fighting to this day. Wow. Who are you going to worship? The, the, the question of who are you going to worship doesn't get solved when you give your life to Jesus. This is, a, this is a fight you will have to deal with for the rest of your life. Who are you going to worship? Another group that was left were the Canaanites. The Canaanites, their name means zealous or passionate. This talks to us about our desires. I'm going to fight with my desires for the rest of my life. I'm going to have to choose who I'm going to worship. I'm going to fight with my desires. The third nation that was left were the Sidonians, the hunters. What am I pursuing? What am I chasing after? What am I going after in life? If I'm going after wealth, am I, am I going after, after the American dream? What am I chasing? This is a fight. I'm going to fight as long as I live in this skin. And then there were the Hittites, or Hivites. The Hivites, their name means belonging to a village. This talks to us about relationships. Oh, man. The, the, each nation is an entire series of sermons. It's like a whole, yeah. So for the rest of my life, even though I am saved and you are saved, we are going to battle with who we're going to worship what do we desire? What are we pursuing? And who is in our circle? For the rest of our life. All of God's promises are occupied with opposition. But your willingness to confront the opposition is an indicator of whether or not you believe the territory belongs to you. And throughout the book of Judges, they would say, we can't. But it wasn't a matter of they couldn't. It was that they wouldn't. They, they had gotten to a point where they had stopped relying on the grace of God. And God had to remind them. All I asked you to do was get out of your tent and march around Jericho. I provided the victory. I, 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 I will give you the victory, but I need you to march. I will fight with you and for you, but I need you to get up off of your seat of comfort and the apathy that's controlling your life, and I need you to fight. And I know that the past three years has taken the fight out of a lot of people, but I'm here today to challenge you to get your fight back. Unconquered territory. They wouldn't drive them out. They wouldn't obey the voice of God. And because they didn't drive them out, they were unable to resist their temptations. And they would immediately go back into idol worship. At the beginning of Judges, we kind of get a, a blueprint for, for how we fight. The Bible there, when Joshua dies, the people go to God and they ask God. They say, God, what do you want us to do? 
And this is an interesting thought because if Joshua would have still been alive, they would have asked Joshua. And, and, and what would have happened was they would have missed out on the intimacy that God wanted with them as a people. And very often God will allow the things that you've been leaning on to die because it draws you into a deeper level of intimacy with him. That's why so much of the things that you depended on have been pulled right out from under you because it wasn't really about a pandemic. It wasn't really about this or that. It wasn't really about left or right. It was, what, it was who you were putting your trust in. And everything you put your confidence in failed you. And the Republicans thought this guy and the Democrats and we both realized they're just a bunch of failures. They're just a bunch of losers like us. They're like the judges in the book of Judges. They were all messed up and we are all really looking for the one judge, the true righteous judge who can come and save us from our sins. And the reason he can save us is because he's not like us. You can't save me if you struggle like I struggle. So in Judges chapter 1, they they ask God, and God says, hey, send up Judah. They're like, God, all Judah does is play harps and stuff. Like, Judah's just around here singing songs. I mean, these people don't fight. I, I'm trying to teach you the blueprint for winning as a follower of Jesus. I send praise first. Why? Because I know that the battle belongs to the Lord. And if the battle is the Lord's, then I know that my victory is secure. And then the Bible says, and take Simeon with you. Simeon's name means hearing. What do I need? I need to praise God and then I need to hear God. Because God is going to give me instruction. Every miracle that you need has an instruction with it. Last week, Bishop McBath talked to you about the blind man. And, and he, he only saw what he was intended to see when he obeyed the instructions. Every miracle that you need has is, is, is got an instruction connected to it. God has already made a way. He's waiting for your obedience. See, the New Testament puts it this way. They, they, they used the word, but they didn't mix it with faith. And, and the word doesn't work until you believe it. The, the word doesn't start to impact your life until you mix your faith with it. What I'm saying on a Sunday morning will have no impact in your life until you start walking it out on a Monday morning. You got to mix in faith. So, and then the Bible says they, they caught up with this, this king, Adoni Bezek. And it's a cool name, by the way. We should have more Adoni Bezics in the, oh, yeah. in the world. I don't know, though. Maybe you don't want the outcome that happened. Because when they catch Adoni Bezic, the Bible says they, they cut off, they let him live, but they cut off his thumbs and they cut off his, his big toe. Why? Because what you don't cut off in one season will fight you in another season. And if I take his thumbs... And I take his toes. He can't chase me. And he can't wield a sword against me. And some of you are fighting battles today because you refuse to cut it off. 
when God gave you the victory. You let it live. It's like David when Goliath falls. Some things in your life are not dead. They've just fallen down. And David takes the sword and he cuts his head off. He finished him. I remember when I was playing this game when I was growing up. It's called Mortal Kombat. And you would get to the end of Mortal Kombat. And, and when you beat your opponent, somebody in the background would say, finish him. <laughs> oh, man, that got me fired up. And then you would like double tap right, right, left. Do your finish move. And some of y'all need to learn what your finish move is. The finish move is, yes, I praise. Yes, I hear God. Yes, I obey God. But I, I got to cut the things of my past off. I got to separate myself from some things if I'm going to have real victory in my life. This is what Paul says. There, there's, this, there's this duality, right? So, so we get saved. There, there are these battles that we are still fighting. Every promise is occupied with opposition. This is, this is how Paul talked about it in the New Testament, in Romans chapter 7. Paul, Paul, does, Paul does this whole chapter where he's like, man, he says, the thing I want to do, I don't do. And the thing I should do, I don't do it. What's wrong with me? It's literally the question he asks. What's wrong with me? He goes, there's a, there's a, there's a law if, at, at work in my life. There is, this, there is the fact that even though I am a saved person, I'm still living in a sinful flesh. A fallen, that, that is decaying, that is rotting away. But now, because of Jesus, there's a, the, my spirit, who I really am, is alive on the inside of me. And these two are at war with one another. And it makes me feel like I'm two people. <laughs> Anybody ever felt like two people? I know you have because I've seen you throw your hands up in church and lose your cool in the parking lot right after you walked out of church. There's two people in all of y'all. One of my friends, he calls it the, the reality of duality. For every Spider-Man, there's Peter Parker. For every Iron Man, there's Tony Stark. There's this, there's this duality in you. And man, the, the superhero, that's the one we wish would just appear all of the time. But we realize that most of life is not spent in the costume. Most of life is Peter Parker. Paul is recognizing this reality of duality. But here's the thing. A lot of y'all stop there. Well, see, Paul, he said the thing he wanted to do, he couldn't do it. The thing he didn't want to do, that's what he did. So I guess that's just kind of what I'm left to, you know. I guess that was Paul's struggle. If that was Paul's struggle, that's just going to be my struggle. That's just the way it is. But Paul doesn't stop there. Paul goes, who can deliver me from this body that's decaying? He said, thank God, Christ Jesus. So, so he's saying, I, I can't do this by willpower. 
I can't do what I want because I really want to do the right thing so bad. He said, that doesn't work. I need Christ's power. And then he goes into Romans 8. By the way, Romans 8 exists. You got to keep on reading to get the whole story. Paul says... Paul, Paul says in Romans 8, he says, so there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. He's acknowledging the fight, but he doesn't say you have to continually lose the fight. I don't want you to be condemned because you feel like two people, but I do want you to understand there is hope in Jesus Christ and there is power in his spirit. So what does he say? Listen to what he says in Romans 8, 9 through 11. He says, you, however, are not of the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. He says this, watch. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the spirit gives it life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus Christ from the dead is living on the inside of you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. He's saying you don't have to live the rest of your life given into your flesh. I don't have to. I can live by the Spirit. I can give victory. I don't have to let the enemy occupy any territory in my life. He has no place here. He has no home here. Ah, this is, my body is the temple of the living God. He does not belong here. Ah. Even things like unforgiveness, it's like, man, Robbie, I really want to forgive. I'm just not there yet. Oh, man, you better get there. You better get there. Ephesians 4, 26 through 27 says this. If you if, if in your anger, do not sin. He says, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. In other words, when you hold on to unforgiveness, you give the devil territory in your life. The King James Version says, neither give place to the devil. I like that. I like the way he puts that. He doesn't deserve an inch of property when it comes to your life. He has to evacuate the premises. And Judges chapter 3, so we see that there is that, that wrestling that happens. And because of that wrestling, man, very often we find ourselves in pain, in trouble that we caused. <laughs> it's easy to blame God. But if we really sat back and looked at things, we would realize that my life is not the result of a God who has forgotten me. My life is the result of decisions that I have made. And even the bad things that have happened to you, they might not have been your decision, but you decided how you responded. And in Judges chapter 3, God starts to raise up judges. And the second judge he raises up, I want to tell you this story and then I'm going to let you go. This is a gross story. I don't even really want to read it. It's, it's, a, it's a nasty story. In the Bible, I feel like we should have, you should put like, sermons should have like ratings, like, 
this one would be like maybe PG-13. In Judges chapter 3, I'll just, I'll just read it to you. <laughs> Judges chapter 3, we're going to talk about Ehud. Verse 12, again, I love that. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Because they did this evil, the Lord gave Eglon, king of Moab, power over Israel. Getting the Ammonites and the Amalekites to join him, Eglon came and attacked Israel, and they took possession of the city of Palms, Jericho. The Israelites were subject to Eglon, king of Moab, for 18 years. Again, the Israelites cried out to the Lord, and he gave them a deliverer. Watch this. God raises up a deliverer, not because they repent, but because they cry out in agony. Some people are like, God's just waiting for you to repent before he'll move. No, God hears the cries of his people. God's just waiting for you to... No, no. He hears it when you're hurting. You need to get right before you go to church. You need to get right before you... Uh, what if I just cry out and see what happens? <laughs> what, what, if I, what if I'm not even to the place where I even know why or what's happening in my life? I'm just in pain. And I cry out. And I haven't even recognized my role in what, what I'm going through. Will God hear me? Yeah, they cried out. One translation says groanings. Doesn't say they repented. They just cried out. This is how much God loves you. He hears your cries. <laughs> I could stop there. So they cried out. He gave them a deliverer, Ehud. Watch this. A left-handed man. When you read into the Hebrew there, the reason he's left-handed is not because he's born left-handed. He's, he's that way because his right hand is not working. He's disabled. He wasn't left-handed because he was born using his left hand. No, he's left-handed because his right hand is not working. The Bible says he's the son of Gareth the Benjamite. The Israelites sent him with tribute to Eglon, the king of Moab. This is a cool story, but it's about to get really gross. <clears throat> now Ehud had made a double-edged sword about a cubit long, which he strapped to his right thigh under his clothing. He presented the tribute to Eglon, or Eglon, king of Moab, who was a very fat man. How would you like that to be like the way you got listed in the Bible? You know, the fat guy in the Bible. That's me. <laughs> After Ehud had presented the tribute, he sent on their way those who had carried it. But on reaching the stone images near Gilgal, he himself went back to Eglon and said, Your Majesty, I have a secret message for you. And the king said to his attendants, Leave us. And they all left. Ehud approached him while he was sitting alone in the upper room of his palace and said, I have a message for you from God. 
<laughs> As the king rose from his seat, Ehud reached with his left hand, drew the sword from his right and plunged it into the king's belly. Even the handle sank in after the blade and his bowels discharged. His fat belly swallowed the blade. Ehud did not pull out the sword and the fat closed in over it. Then Ehud went out on the porch and he shut the doors of the upper room behind them and locked them. After he had gone, the servants came and found the doors of the upper room locked. They said he must be relieving himself in the inner room of the palace. They waited to the point of embarrassment. But when he did not open the doors of the room, he took a key and unlocked them. There he saw their Lord fall into the floor dead. While they waited, Edha got away, passed by the stone images and escaped to Syrah. When he arrived there, he blew a trumpet in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites went down from the hills with him leading them. Follow me, he ordered, for the Lord has given Moab, your enemy, into your hands. So they followed him down, took possession of the fords of the Jordan that led to Moab. They allowed no one to cross over. At that time, they struck down about 10,000 Moabites, all vigorous and strong. No one escaped. That day, Moab was made subject to Israel. You see the switch? Ehud defeats the flesh. And 18 years of suffering comes to an end. And the thing that made them suffer and the people that made them suffer were now subject to them. And the land had peace for 80 years. Your freedom is going to last way longer than your bondage. <laughs> I'm going to show you just a few things about this. First of all, God uses broken people. Why is that? Because broken people are the only people that exist. <laughs> so he calls Ehud and he wants to use him, but Ehud has an issue. Ehud is left-handed. And the reason this is such an important thing was because in the Bible, you realize and you see when you study the scripture that every time we really talk about the strength of God, they mention his right hand. It's not that God can't use his left hand. It's just that the right hand has always been a symbol of strength and victory. As a matter of fact, when Jesus defeated death, hell, and grave, the Bible says that he ascended into heaven and he sat down at the right hand, the seat of power, the right hand of God. And when you read the Bible, you see this. Isaiah 41 and 10. God says, fear not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Isaiah 41, 13 continues. It says, for I, the Lord, your God, hold your right hand. It is I who say to you, fear not. I am the one who helps you. Psalm 110 and 1, David says, the Lord says to, to me, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies my footstool. In Leviticus 8 and 23, Aaron and his sons are being ordained as the overseers of the priesthood. And the Bible says there that when they kill the animals and they take that blood, they take that blood and they put it on, on his right ear, his right thumb and his right foot 
They take the blood and they put it on his right side. In other words, what God is trying to teach us is that not only does God use weakness, but God uses faith, not strength. He's not after your strength. He's after your weakness. He doesn't get glory from your strength. He gets glory from your weakness. And so he sends a left-handed, a southpaw, the most unlikely of people to do what he was getting ready to do. He sends him in to the king's palace and he uses this southpaw because God wants to show us, if you'll give me your right hand of strength, I'll make even your left hand of weakness strong. If you give me the areas of your strength, if you will let me be strong for you, if you will stop trying to be strong for yourself, I can do things even through your weakness. I can do things even through your left hand. God doesn't want our strength. He wants us to use his strength. And what keeps us from the victory is not our weakness, but our strength. Here's the thing. Ehud wasn't able, he was just available. And God isn't looking for able people. God isn't looking for capable people. God isn't looking for qualified people. God isn't looking for perfect people. He's just looking for somebody who says, God, I might even have a disability, but with you, I can do anything. If you get in my life and you empower me by your spirit, then I can lead an entire nation to victory, even though I'm disabled. Think about that for a second. God uses broken people. God wants faith, not strength. And watch this. <laughs> this story. You imagine years later you're telling the story. The way the story was written, it's as if they want us to sit back and laugh. It's as if the writer wants us to be like, oh my God. He, he stuck that sword in that dude's belly. And then his fat just collapsed on it. Is this job of the hut? Like what? <laughs> Who is this? Reminds me of how God laughs at our enemies. I can see him sitting around the campfire and being like, hey, you remember Ehud? About 40 years into an 80-year peace. Ehud's probably dead by this time. You remember Ehud? You remember that story? You remember how my dude walked up in there, right hand ain't even working. Walks up in there. <laughs> he, he, he tells the king, he says, hey, I've got a secret message for you from God. <laughs> and then my dude, bro, he just stabs him right in the belly. His belly eats up the. And then he walks out on the porch and he's just chilling. I mean, can you imagine it's like. This story is wild, and it reminds us that God laughs at his enemies. If you're in the room today and you're so upset because, man, look at God's enemies. Look at how they're taunting us, and they're making fun of us, and you're mad right now, and you're so angry, and you're so frustrated. You, you don't understand whose side you're on. God is a train. His enemies are a fly. And, and, and the indicator that you don't really trust God is that you are so mad at 
his enemies. When the Bible says God laughs at them. The psalmist said that the wicked, they plan and scheme against the righteous. But God sits up in heaven and he laughs because he knows the end of the wicked. You're like, darkness is taking over America. And you're so mad and you're, and you're posting and you're ticked off and you're frustrated. And it's like, oh, just, just watch. The truth will prevail. We are living in a day where the truth looks like it is the lie. And the lie looks like it is the truth. We, we act so confused by these times when the Bible actually says there will come a day when they will call evil good and good evil. But God's like, don't trip. Stop acting like a fool. Stop freaking out on Facebook and social media and having a meltdown at Thanksgiving. You have to know that God ultimately is in control. He will get the victory. The truth will prevail. The devil will lose. And the church will rise up in victory. I'm not afraid of the day we live in. I'm excited about the day we live in. Because the darker it gets, the brighter the light of Jesus shines. And I'm not going to live frustrated when I'm, a, when I'm on the train and his enemies are a fly. You can stay standing. I'm going to finish right here. Psalm 2 and 4 says, He sits in the heavens and laughs. He sits in the heavens and laughs. Also reminds me that weeping endures for the night, but joy comes in the morning. 18 years of pain. 18 years of suffering. 18 years of oppression. Luke 6, 21 says, Blessed are you who are hungry, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. <laughs> and I don't think you realize it now because I don't think any of us can see it while we're going through it. But some of us have lived long enough that now stuff that we thought was going to finish us now, years later, we look back and we laugh at it. Man, you remember when we were going through that and we thought we would never get out of that? Look at what God has done. Do you remember when I was addicted to drugs and alcohol and I had no control in my life? And Pain seemed to be what I woke up with every day. You can't see it while you're in the middle of it, but I promise you, joy is coming. I'm, I'm, I'm just telling you, Romans 8 and 8 puts it this way. Paul says, he says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. 18 years of pain, but 80 years of peace. You will experience joy. Can I just have every person in the room who's going through some level of pain, if you can, would you throw your hands up in the air this morning?
every person in the room who's experiencing some level of pain in your life. This is not the end. This weeping, this heartache, this abandonment that you feel, this betrayal that you feel, this sickness that you feel, this disbelief that you feel, this is not the end. Joy is coming. And if you in this room, if you believe joy is coming, can we lift our voices and give God praise? Like we believe weeping endures only for the night. But joy comes in the morning. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're in this room today and you would say, Rob, I'm experiencing the pain right now of being far from God. I don't have a relationship with God. And maybe you're in the room today and you've never given your life to Jesus. So that's why you are out of fellowship with God is because you've never invited him into your life. You've never put your confidence in him. You've never asked him to save you, forgive you. Or maybe you're here in the room today and you've given your heart to Jesus, but you've been disobedient. Not every act of disobedience is immorality. Some acts of disobedience are just God spoke something to you and you didn't do it. He asked you to go somewhere you didn't go. He asked you to say something you didn't say. And because of that, you feel at a distance from God. And if you're in this room today and you say, Rob, I want to become close to God through faith in Jesus Christ. I want to put my confidence in Jesus for my salvation today. And I want to put my confidence in Jesus again, that he is the one who is holding me. He is the one who is sustaining me. Come on, if that's you for the first time or for the 30th time, you're like, God does 30th times. Read the book of Judges. Again, the people did what was right in their own eyes. Again, the people rebelled against God. Again and again and again and again. Yeah, God will save you. He'll redeem you. He'll pull you back in. He'll set you free. He'll cleanse you. He'll wash you. He'll make it all brand new again and again and again and again and again. So if you're in the room today, it's the first time or the 50th time, I want you to throw your hand up if that's you. I want to give my life to Jesus today. Come on, let's all pray with those. Come on, hands everywhere. Let's pray with those who lifted their hands. Father, in Jesus' name, thank you that you love me, that you gave your life for me. I give you mine. Take all of it. Have your way. Use me for your glory. I repent of my sins. I confess you as Lord. Take my strength. Use my weaknesses in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Come on, church, let's put our hands together for those who made a decision to follow Jesus today. Amen. And for every Ehud in the place, every person who feels like you don't have the ability 
that something in your life is not functioning correctly. And in order for you to be and do what God has called you to be, you need everything to line up. I want to tell you today, God doesn't need your strength. You need his. Go ahead and do what he's asked you to do. He'll empower you in the areas of your weakness. Amen. If you made a decision today, we'd love to connect with you. You can follow the the directions on the screen. Or if you'd like to and you need prayer, we'd love to meet you up front. Our prayer team would be up front for the next few minutes to pray with you. God bless you. Thank you for coming today. I'll see you soon.